Wake up, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake. It is episode 10. We made it into double digits. Yes, we did. Of the fabulous Vintage Sand podcast, the podcast that talks about film history from the perspective, not of experts, but of just insane film fans. And today, of course, for our January episode, our subject is the best of 2018. And it was a really, um, it looked like it was going to be a great year. I think it ended up being a good year, a really good year. See, I thought it was an excellent year. But for smaller films. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's, that's, a, that's a really good way to put except mm-hmm. one big one, which is in my top. T- but, you know, I think, you know, we thought it was going to happen in 1971, 72 with black exploitation. We thought it was going to happen in 1989, 90 with Spike Lee and John Singleton and, and Julie Dash. But it finally happened. I think we finally have the year of the black director and... Uh, who uh, one may even win the Oscar for Best Director, a certain Mr. Lee, and uh, we can hope so. But so many films this year. I mean, Blind Spotting, Black Panther, uh, Ava DuVernay got to direct a hundred million dollar Disney movie, even though it didn't, didn't do that well. Ring real in time, it wasn't that good. Steve McQueen did Widows, which uh, did you guys see Widows? I saw Widows, and I, I, I heard it was really good. It's it's a heist movie without humor. It doesn't quite work, but I liked it. All right, I'm sorry to bother you, which I can't believe Sorry to Bother You didn't get nominated for anything. I was kind of shocked. I, I, once again, that was an interesting film. I thought it kind of had too much on its plate by the end of it, but I, I didn't Yes, when it, it got a little sci-fi yeah. with, the, with the horse people, yeah. and, spoiler alert, horse people, <laughs> and, well, you know, we got to warn people about the horse peoples. It's a trigger warning. They live for, on 10th Street. Anyone's right? afraid of horse people? Yeah, well, that's that's where the hay is, <laughs> so that's where you go. Um, the hate Street, the, formerly known as the drugstore. Yes. Uh, the Hate You Give, which was, you know, a very acceptable that adaptation of that of that book. I wanted to see that. Um, you know, and uh, and Creed Two, which I thought was very good, not as good as the first one. Monsters and Men, which was small. I just saw Beale Street. Oh um, Beale Street, love. Yeah. Love, love. Not not the novel, but you know, really beautifully yeah, done. Uh, you and know beautifully, beautifully acted. By Barry Jenkins and uh, and Black Klansman. And you know, so this was this was a year where maybe we've moved past the idea of black director and we're just, you know, as we're hoping will happen with, with women too, although that's a big beef of mine that will come out in my top five, top five list, that, you know, they'll no longer Initial be looked at DG. as... What? Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> what a giveaway. Um, uh, that, you know, maybe the idea of a black director is is not, they're just directors now. I mean, I'm hoping. and But, of course, we're all sitting here, we're just talking, afraid that Green Book is going to win the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, no. And, no, you know, in our no. last episode on That's, alternate Oscars, I don't, I don't think so. we were talking about driving, how Driving Miss Daisy won in the year that Do the Right Thing was not even nominated. And it would just be the same thing. We've, we've come full circle 30 years later. Worse. Yeah, and you know the 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 savior white. Person. I mean, I think Driving Miss Daisy was a well crafted movie. I think Green Book is not. <laughs> I like the two of them. The two of them are fine. He's mis- uh, uh, Morrison. I think is a little miscast. Uh, yeah. We also saw that um, Asian people can uh, can make some money in a romantic comedy. Crazy Rich Asians did really, really well. Yes, you did. Um, and, you know, the other thing that stuck with me is the worst movie I saw this year was a Star Wars movie, which, as a long time, uh, Solo, which was 
horrible. I think they called it solo because one oh, person yeah, saw yeah. it. I, 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 didn't <laughs> see it. I didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's atrocious. Um, I believe you. And uh, so Disney is uh, killing that golden goose. But as Michael said, I'm going to totally agree with you on this, Mike. I think it, it was, a, 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 except for Panther, a... a, a, a Decent year for big films and a great, great year for smaller films, which is really reassuring. And I think ultimately it says that, you know, while television has made huge, huge inroads into sort of resting the crown of visual storytelling away from movies as a medium, movies have not quite given up yet. And there's still plenty of amazing things to see out there. So today we're going to talk about our top five of the year and we're gonna we're gonna duplicate a few times of course but that's okay and we'll just sort of add on and argue with each other like we always do and uh michael why don't we start with you what's your number five this year my number five movie and i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing it right or the director is a capernaum uh which is oh the lebanese film yes yes directed by nadine labaki and it was described very well in the Times as naturalism meets melodrama. Huh. And it starts out with a uh, young 12-year-old boy in court suing his parents for being born. <laughs> I kid you not. And, That's awesome. And you find out why uh, afterwards. Uh, they, these are the parents from hell. They sell their uh, his um, 11-year-old sibling, a female sibling, to a to a man and she dies in pregnancy and it gets it gets even worse and more harrowing but they manage to keep a certain humor towards it and it, it never gets it gets to be too overbearing it, it, even though it sounds it, it, this kid whoever he is and he seems as natural as a kid off the street is just wonderful and generally I don't like movies about Huh? Children. Where? Uh, I know it played See, here. I told you he's a curmudgeon. I know, but he he does it so well though. <laughs> um, uh, well, he Daddy always he feels and she. No, he him. always said that as an actor, the dream role for him was Daffy Duck. <laughs> I still think that would be perfect. Someday you will achieve your dream, Michael. Daffy Duck is an artist. I'm telling you, I totally agree with you. I. <laughs> No. I would I would pay to see you as Daffy Duck. Let's put I, it that I, way. I would love to play Mr. Duck. Either that or Hedda Gabler. So, <laughs> well, people always mention those two in the, uh, well, there's the Wild Duck, but yeah. if we're doing Ibsen jokes, but there you go. Um, now, here it only played at film form. I see that's it a was long a, way to go for that joke, right, John? It was at film form, and it's, it's still at film form, and it's also uh, at uh, the Landmark. So where can our three non-New York listeners, uh, is, is well, it, it streaming? Well, it, it, it is nominated for an... And love them, we do. It is nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. It's one of the five nominees. Good. All right. So maybe that'll bring it. So some, it might. It it'll might lose to Roma, but at least it'll bring some. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's um, it's very very good, and uh, I, I I was surprised how because mo- I kind of tried to force myself to see it, thinking, oh well, it's one of the year's best, but it's about a little kid, and I just didn't think I would like it, and but I did, and um, at least he likes dogs. Yeah, that's true. That's something. I, although the dog movie was playing last week at SAG, and I did not go. 
Wait, which dog movie? A Dog's Venture, A Dog's Life. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I just couldn't. <laughs> that sounds like one of those old Disney movies. Yeah, like right, those old live-action Disney films from the early 70s. Yeah. Incredible Journey. Right, like Lobo the Wolf, you know, and things like and, that. And uh, it's a, f- a female director, Nadine Lebaski, Lebaki, and I know she's done um, two other films that I'm unfamiliar with called Where Do We Go Now and Caramel. Totally unfamiliar with it. I'm unfamiliar it's with it. It's great to work. find someone new, though. That's but, amazing. But, uh, yeah, I do. St- I strongly recommend it. All right. All right. Um, yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I definitely will on your recommendation. Um, my number five is a film that's going to come up on your lists, too, I believe, and that is the completely unexpected return of Paul Schrader to form in uh, First Reformed. And of all the Oscar snubs... My my first one I'll tell you all about later, but my my second one is that Ethan Hawke did not get nominated yeah. for this. I mean, for those of you who don't know it, it's a it's it's the love child of Winter's Light and uh, Brisson's Diary of a Country Priest. It really is literally yeah. those two films it's very, thrown in a blender. Very close to Winter's Light, yes, the mm-hmm. plot, but somehow but the he makes it his own. Right, it, it does. It, it's fresh. It's it's, and I I have been a fan. I mean, Schrader as a film thinker. Uh, you know, I would say that the we were talking um, last episode about our favorite film books. Schrader, his PhD yeah. thesis was the one about uh, Dreyer, Ozu, and Brisson on transcendentalism in film, yeah. and it was just extraordinary. Which I think has just been reissued. Really, because if you if you're if you it's not an easy read, but boy, it is profound, and I think it opened up a lot of doors for me in understanding the work of those directors. His work as a screenwriter, you know, is is hard to match in terms of what Taxi Driver, and he wrote. Did he write American Gigolo too, as well as directing it? I, th- I don't know. Don't if he know. Wrote it. He probably did. I think so. And you know, he's as as a director, a mixed bag. You know what I love? That's always forgotten. Light Sleeper. Remember mm-hmm. that with Willem Dafoe? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's a good movie. I thought that was a really good one. I but take it you had, didn't see his previous movie. No. Uh, the Canyons with the great Lindsay Lohan oh. and the foreign star James Dean, spelled D E E N. There's about 12 jokes in there somewhere. Yes. But well, uh, that's going. Uh, that was supposed to have been uh, Miss Lohan's return to form. Oy. And it, uh, let me put it this way if we ever do a Worst of the decade. There it is. That one's up there. Well, Should I, we talk more mm-hmm. about First Reform now? Since well, it's on yeah. all three of our lists, more in depth. No, no. Well, we can. We no. We can okay. just come and, and come around and and comment. Um, I what I loved about it was um, that that element of transcendentalism, the stillness mm-hmm. in the film, and I I have always liked Ethan Hawke as an actor. Okay, I'm sorry. I you know from Dead Poet Society, especially in Richard Linklater's films in Boyhood and in the Before trilogy. Yes, um, I he's Macbeth. No. Oh, the, the, the I, I kind the of like the Almereda Hamlet. I like the idea of it. My students like it, by the way. Um, the idea of updating the uh, the scene. Uh, but keeping the language, uh, like Baz Luhrmann did with uh, with Romeo and Juliet, um, and you know, I I think this is his his best performance, and I think that's yeah, saying I something. Would agree with that. All right, I mean, not, not no, he's, he's he's excellent in it. 
And I think ultimately, you know, it's it's the story of a of a priest in a small Dutch Reformed church that is fading away, and it has to affiliate itself with this large sort of church concern. Um, and it's, it's a museum too, right? Because and it's it's the souvenir shop as uh, as it's called. And he gets involved with this couple, and I loved Amanda Seyfried in it. She yes, always surprises it? me. She was good. I always say, "Oh God, Amanda Seyfried, she's going to be awful." I thought, and she's I thought everybody in it. Was I good. mean. Cedric the Entertainer. Right. He was excellent. Who he was would have thought he, that he could yep. play it so straight and so well? Excellent. No, fantastic. And uh, yeah. And I, I would go so far as to say, I mean, it's not, not saying much unless you really love Wolf of Wall Street, but uh, which I hate. But I, I think it's pro- of the Hollywood new wave of directors, unless you include Malick, because uh, I love Tree of Life. It's probably the best film by that group of directors this decade. Uh, I mean, if you think, you know, I'll and I, I'll throw Spielberg, I'll throw Lucas in there, I'll throw De Palma in there, I'll throw, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's an incredible... The, the thing I like about it the most is that, as you said, the stillness, it, this, it's, the simplicity is, there's, there's so much there than, than you're seeing or whatever, as it, as it progresses, it kind of, it, it, it sort of becomes... I don't know, for lack of a better word, for proud, as as it just keeps building on itself. And also the, uh, all the camera work is, is so well suited to the performance and the character. Which yes, is the way it should be. And <laughs> the film I was comparing it to immediately, you know, another director who I love, not from that generation, was Aronofsky's uh, Mother, which is also an ecological allegory. And, you know, the ecology and, you know, what's what we're doing to the earth figures in a large, large way. Preachy. Right, no, exactly, whereas Mother did. Well, yeah. well, Mother, wow, Mother is a movie I'll just never forget. <laughs> I, I can't say I liked it. But I think of all of his films, it's, Mother is yeah. the most memorable one. And there's there's so much in there. I, I, and, you know, a lot has been made in, in about Schrader's Lutheranism, you know, how he was raised in a very sort of repressive atmosphere. And this comes out in one way or another. Never saw a movie until he was 17. Right, yeah. in all of his films. Yeah. And yet, well, he also did the script to Last Temptation, I, I believe, and I love that script. Did he adapt it? I believe he did. I think so. Yeah. Where's our fact checker? <laughs> you know, they're so hard to find. It's the union thing. You know, just to expound. Well, All right, we're checking. We had um, that lovely intern, but she got a job. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so I, a, a, I mean, you told me a new Paul Schrader film is coming out. You know, ho hum. I mean, I can't remember the last decent film he did. Well, that's it. I mean, the last one I was able to get through without like saying I'm, I'm never going to see another one again was the one about Bob Crane. Oh, um, autofocus. Uh, autofocus, yeah. Yeah, and I've never really been a big lover of his films. And the funny thing is... With, that was torture. With... Uh, Greg, Greg Kinnear, was it? Was Greg Kinnear right. and Willem Dafoe. Yeah. in there, too. But um, it just made me want to go home and watch Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Clink, you idiot! <laughs> but the funny Hello, thing... Hogan. The funny thing... I'll wait till it's my turn, my, my feeling about uh, First Reform. Yeah, so uh, a, a small and surprising movie, um, Ethan Hawke's best performance, and, you know, Schrader 
if his heroes are the so-called transcendental filmmakers like Brisson, like uh, Dreyer, like Ozu, then he's and the ending is very Dreyer-like. It was like the ending of um, yes. of Ordette. Yes. Um, you know, a very unexpected, almost miraculous occurrence. I don't want to give too much away. Ending. Not surprised. But uh, he really has taken the lessons of his masters to heart and made a film that I think Paul is... Paul Schrader did do the screen. Did play. do the screen. All right. Yes. Um, and uh, And I think First Performed is a movie that is worthy of those three directors. And in my book, that's saying something. So First Performed is my number five. Johnny, number five. Well, I have a tie between Blind Spotting and Leave No Trace. So which one do you want to talk about first? Blind Spotting. <laughs> Blind Spotting I thought was stunning. Uh, as you said before, it's, I, it's a very successful blending of humor and drama. Yes, which is mm-hmm. almost impossible to do. Yeah. And I, you know, it's funny because when we were talking about it earlier, I started to think about Vice, about how that was trying to do the same thing, but it was, it came off sort of clumsy and, I don't, and preachy. I don't, and I like Adam McKay's work. I like Big Short. Uh, you know, I, I really thought this Vice blind spotting was, never felt that way. Never. At all. No, it never. It was, it and it was, was really a, the, the 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 humor and the and the drama, intense drama was it was seamless. Mm-hmm. And they were both excellent. Yes, the, the and they're long time friends. And yep. Yeah, they are long time friends. They did this screenplay quite a while mm-hmm. ago. And um, and David Diggs is famous for um, Hamilton. Hamilton. He, yeah, uh, he's he Jefferson. Lafay- uh, I well, Lafayette. Je- Lafayette, Lafayette in the first half, right. Jefferson in the second right. half. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And he was excellent. In that. Amazing. Yeah. And Oakland, you know, Oakland also plays a big part in Absolutely. all of Ryan Coogler's films, including Black Panther. So it's it's finally, you know, that that amazing. Did you guys read Michael Chabon's novel, uh, Telegraph Road? No. Um, like Telegraph it. Avenue, excuse me. Yeah. It's about Telegraph Avenue is the street that separates Oakland from Berkeley. And it's a novel that takes place along that. And it's that that Oakland is really. And I'm right now reading Tommy Orange's There There, which is also about Oakland. Oakland has become a scene, and I think the movie does an incredible job yeah. at at yeah. giving you the feel of what Oakland is like and that very vibrant. But also brings up a very important social issue that we've been dealing with for a long time, but it never felt right. preachy at all, or anything like that. And I don't know why the film didn't do any business. I cannot figure. I'm that sure out. they didn't know how to market it. I, I mean, think, who's I your who's your target audience there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The director Carlos Lopez Estrada. First, first, first film. film. Yeah. Yep. And it didn't feel like a first film. No, not at all. No, very self-assured. I, I was really. I was really impressed with it, and it's. I think it's in my top ten. It didn't quite make my top five, but yeah, I think that's an excellent choice. And then uh, leave no trace. Leave no trace, boy, devastating. Well, I'm coming back to it, so yeah. I'm so I'm I'm right there with you. And uh, I thought it was, I thought it was stunning. I love her work, but we'll we'll come back to and that. Two, as, as far as my tie, two very different movies. Yes, absolutely. Because uh, Leave No Trace is very simple, but uh, but as very, with First Reformed, as you were saying, there's like a ton of yes. profundity and emotional yeah. upheaval and churn yes. right underneath yeah. that all, very calm, placid surface. And also, yeah. again, brings up a very important social issue about how we take or don't, you know, take care of or don't take care of. Or oh, the scenes of the VA were just, oh. Yep, exactly. And in its own way, it's it's as powerful an anti-war film as Hurt Locker or any of any of yeah. those well, other I, better known. better than Hurt Locker. I love Hurt Locker. <laughs> I did too. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm totally... What, what it has, I think, in common with blind spotting is that both directors give you an incredible, almost an anthropological sense of place. Yes. You That's really feel Absolutely, like yeah. you you're you know that area now. Yeah. Which Deborah Granick, the director of Leave No Trace, did with Winter's Bone too. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I've never been to the Missouri Arkansas border border, but I felt like I had after yeah. that movie. And again, there were Ben Foster and who uh, plays the father who's suffering from PTSD and Thomason McKenzie, who oh. plays his daughter, they were both yeah. excellent. Fantastic. Excellent. And, uh, well, de- definitely more on that one later from me. So that's our number five. Michael, well, my number, number four. four is blind spotting. And I don't know if I have that much to add, except uh, the one difference between blind spotting and leave no trace, which I don't have as high as you guys, mainly because I made the mistake of seeing it on an airplane at one in the morning. Yep. I, I was a little aloof. Uh, I found uh, aloof from the story. I wasn't as moved mm. by it towards mm. the end as I felt I should have been. I thought, people here are too nice. Oh, because by the end of it, I was... Oh, you mean in the trailer in, 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 in yeah. the trailer park, yeah. Yeah, but... but it was a mess by the end. <laughs> and, and, um, but I still, I still, and I, I need to see it again because I... And, and then after that, I saw... Uh, the Isle of Dogs, and I felt, finally fell asleep. <laughs> oh, I love Isle of Dogs. I think that might be on somebody's list. Yeah, here. I know it was, yeah. and I, but I, this was this was at three in the morning, and I, okay. I didn't think it was boring. I was just finally tired. Uh, it's not the best place to see uh, movies, but anyway, so, so blind spotting was your is four. my number four, and I really don't have much to add except I did find that there was a lot of humor in blind spotting that. You, you never knew where it was going. Kind of come. Yeah, yeah. Come you never through. quite knew. You never knew where it was going. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The movie felt very organic. It felt like yes, we were sort exactly. of like a spy camera watching something that was really happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it yeah. felt there was nothing that yeah. was unbelievable about the film. I, I, I'm with you guys. I really liked it. Um. So my number four is Black Klansman. Um, which on some people's list is higher. And as I said, in the year of the black filmmaker, which I think 2018 will be remembered as, it's only fitting that the that Spike Lee be there. And he finally got his first Best Director nomination. Hooray. Yep. Uh, another return to... for Every time Spike's written off, he comes back with something like 25th Hour. And did you guys see Chirac? No. Chirac uh, is... Yes. That's the one that's Lysistrata yeah, set I did in the Chicago game. I wasn't wild about it. I I liked parts of it. It yeah. got a little out of control yeah. at the end, as Spike yeah. sometimes does. But um, easily, I thought his best work since Twenty Fifth Hour, which is already fifteen years ago. Um, and I thought uh, this. There's just one scene. There's always a scene or two in his films. Like I think about the um, the Taj Mahal scene and the drug den scene in Jungle Fever, or. Um, there's always a couple of scenes that really jump out at you from his films, and in this one, it's it's the it's the object. If I'm teach ever teaching film again, and I'm teaching cross cutting, I'm going to show the scene where Harry Belafonte is talking about the Tulsa riots and how he watched a friend basically get lynched, mm-hmm. and that cuts back to Adam Driver as Ron being inducted into the KKK yeah. by 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 David Duke, and and but what makes it is that he goes meta on it, and while Harry Belafonte is talking, um, 
we see the cross-cutting sequence from Griffith's Birth of, Birth of a Nation, yeah. right? Remember, you know, the, yeah. the the white family stuck in the cottage and the and the people in blackface surrounding it right. until the heroic clan comes. So oh, it's God. cross-cutting within cross-cutting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like one of those film film school moments, and you're like, it's, oh boy. Is Birth of a Nation still shown in most film classes? I hope not. I show I show that mm-hmm. scene to well, teach the scene, but the whole film. I mean, no, because when I I remember taking when I took a film class when I was in college, we had to watch that. But that was back in the seventies, and it was with a discussion about the racism mm-hmm. in the movie before we watched it, and with a discussion about the racism in the movie afterwards. Yep. Um, but at the same time, it. I understand why it was taught in the class because of the fact that it's extremely important. It is as far as it's an encyclopedia of film yeah, technique. Exactly, still it, film language. It it, yep. it changed the way films were being made, and I understand why it's important. It's it's just it's so despicable that through. yeah, <laughs> it, it's it's impossible to watch unless you are like the characters in Black Klansman. However, for those for for those fans, um, there was. Uh, an answer film to the original Birth of a Nation, um, Oscar Mishaw. It was the, protested, too. Well, and it basically led... The, the NAACP had only been formed a couple of years earlier, and their protest against Birth of a Nation sort of, you know, put that put that organization on the front burner and made them an important group. But... Um, in 1918, Oscar Mishaw, the first great African-American d- director um, who did films for what they call the Chitlin Circuit, which is like the film equivalent of the Negro Leagues back in the tw- teens, 20s, 30s, did a film called Within Our Gates that is a, oh, yeah, that it is a yeah. response film to Birth of a Nation, and it's available now. Mishaw's films have been dusted off and recovered and, and, and preserved, and yeah, I recommend it. So, I mean, I have a couple of problems with Black Klansmen. First of all, let's talk about what I like. The acting was great. I I yes. I'm I'm worried. I keep liking Adam Driver and things. Paul he is a good actor. I know. I never liked him before. Now in the last couple of things I've seen he's, him, and like he's going to be he's... doing um, the uh, play on Broadway, uh, uh, the one that Malkovich did that I didn't like. I wonder if he's going to uh, burn this. He's not going to win. Do burn this? Yeah. Interesting. Good luck. He's not going to win supporting, is he? To give that to Sam Elliott, maybe? No, they're going to give it to uh, the guy who got it last night, uh, Ali. For, oh, uh, again? Yeah, but he just won for... Uh, I know. I, I'm, I'm, hope, I love I, him, I'm but... keeping my fingers crossed for Richard E. Grant. I did not see that. Oh, it's quite so, good. Yeah. Um, so the acting was great. I, I uh, the, the That... That scene with the cross cutting between you know with the the wife is coming to plant the bomb, mm-hmm. and which uh, I understand is one of the few things that yeah, he fudged a little. I bit. was wondering about she's that. She's not really that involved. Apparently, right. it's interesting. Okay, but I liked it. Yeah, and yeah. And, and I, I love that actress. The, she is a wonderful. Well, actress. that was one of the things. I there are a few movies I see that are again about a very serious issue that has been haunting us forever in this country yet it was so entertaining yeah. yes they had a lot of humor and again a, a fascinating connection to sorry to bother you which again i think was just unfairly overlooked by everyone and that he basically uses his white voice and that's yes. what sorry to yeah. bother you is about yes. so um and it's it's really a, I have some trouble with the ending. I always, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, it, with the exception the of Do the Right... The, well, no, the, yeah, the part with Charlottesville. Yeah. I, I I found those scenes very moving, but I thought, no, we got it. It's okay. 
you know, you don't have to hit us over yeah. the head with it. And the scene before that is one that a lot of people complain about where they entrap the racist cop who had, like, you know, felt the girl. Yeah, I was um, wondering if that was... That was that so really pat. Happened. I was wondering a little if that pat. really happened. Yeah, and, and so to me it took away from the power of the film a little bit. But, uh, you know, again... No one has been willing to look into that lens through that lens of American racism uh, in all its forms, uh, as Spike has over the years. You know, through good films and bad. And it was just, uh, you know, as someone who, you know, as a film watcher, just just you know, remembers getting swept up in his early work, especially do the right thing. Um, it was so great to see him back in action, and I thought Black Klansman was really a film that will be watched for a long time. Yes, and yes, that's, absolutely. Which is sort of my yeah. standard here. Yes. Johnny, number four? In a completely different direction, Isle of Dogs. Yes! I knew one of us would have the guts to do that. <laughs> Directed by Wes Anderson. For those of you who haven't seen it, it's an animated movie. Old-fashioned stop action. Stop. Oh, and beautiful. I just, great voice work. Uh, who first the, the young boy who does the voice is Koyu Rankin, but also Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, Bob Balaban, Courtney B. Vance is the, the narrator, Fisher Stevens, Harvey Keitel, Lee Schreiber, Scarlett Johansson, Tilda Swinton, F. Yeah, Murray, I mean, it's everybody. And, <laughs> and Yoko Ono is, is a small part in oh it, too. Yes, yeah, she does. Yeah. But it's just visually very imaginative. Very witty, both in the dialogue and in situations, and visually, and at times it's it's very moving. Oh my God, absolutely! And, and, and it's 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 a hero's journey, really. But for three characters: the boy, the dog, chief, and Spot. His, right. Who we I don't spoil alert. His brother, we find out. Yes. And uh, different color it's nose, but otherwise. Basically, a story <laughs> about friendship. Yeah, I, I, I've you know. I'm worried about myself also because I've always been a Wes, not not a Wes fan, and I loved Budapest, and I really like this one too. I still think Fantastic Mr. Fox as an animated Wes film is slightly better, but I like I liked this better partly because I think it's more ambitious for one thing. Yes. Also, I think it just has more depth to it. And again, it's at our age, having seen as many movies as we have, to walk out of something and say, wow, I've never seen anything like that yes. before. Was yeah. Isle of Dogs I mean, nominated for, for animated? animated? Yes. For animated yes. Film, yes. You know what's going to win that one is that Spider-Man movie, yeah. which, which I, I, heard is, great. I heard is amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, That's what I keep hearing, too. <sighs> it can't be better than this. But I, I wanted to say, I wanted to kind of preface the way I sort of chose my so-called top five, although actually it's six, is the movies that I want to see again. Yeah. I, and, I, and John, I think that's an excellent way. If yeah, you're looking actually, for a... I can't really say, oh, these are definitely the best movies of the year, but I know these are the movies I want to see again. Right. There are movies like Ocean's 8, which I enjoyed while I sat through it, and I could see all you could see all the seams in the plot, and I really am glad that I went to see it, and I have absolutely no need or desire to see it again. No. Right. right. It's and, a lot of fun, though. Right. A lot of fun. It is fun, and, yes. and worth with some great oddball performances. It was, like, it was nice to see Kate Blanchett in a comedy. Yeah. And I... Uh, and, but I but I agree with you. I think that's a, one standard of any work of art is that does it hold up to repeated one listening thing I do want to say about I Love Dogs, yes, it's an animated film, but it's not for small children. No. no I no, wouldn't no. think. No, 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 no. No, it's not. Even from the few minutes that I saw yeah. the children, this is grim. It's intense. Yeah, it's it, grim. Yeah, some, it is. The, the premise is is grim. I mean, it's... Because yeah. it's, also there is a political aspect to the movie. And, yes. Um, I mean, the basic premise is that uh, they're they're searching for. I mean, the the young boy searching for his dog after the dog species has been banished to Trash Island 
for because of canine flu. Canine flu, which yeah. turns out to be yeah. Well, I don't want to spoil. Yeah, but yes, we don't John, want to spoil it. What do you, uh, some people said, and I don't, I don't agree with them, but some people found that it was sort of an anti-Japanese, that it sort yes, of plays to Japanese I didn't stereotypes see that at all. I think it was brilliant using that premise because what he did was the dogs are completely understood and it's the humans that we have to get subtitles for or have interpreted or whatever. So we're seeing everything through the dog's Love, eyes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's about dogs. Yep, and just visually unexpected and and just stunning. There are so many moments where you will you will just like gasp and say, "Wow, how did he do this?" With as John says, with the old fashioned stop motion animation. So yeah, I totally. If I were going to put an animated film on the list, it would definitely be and that's that on one. H- I have not seen it yet. That is on yes, HBO. it's on HBO it's now. On HBO now so yes. okay. definitely I will, worthwhile. I will definitely. Yeah, Michael, number three. Okay, number three. I have it as a tie. I've cheated on this. It's a time. We cheat all the time. Yeah, it's a, it, it's two. Don't play a board game with him. It's two. It's Never. two Ethan Hawke movies, and the first, of course, is First Pressure Reform. Form. And all I will say is the pleasure I got watching this because I saw it about three or four weeks before it opened commercially at uh, Screen Actors Guild uh, sh- uh, screening, and all I knew was that it was a Paul Schrader movie. And that um, Ethan Hawke was in it, and I deliberately sat on the aisle in case I wanted to walk out because <laughs> I had seen Schrader's last movie, The uh, Canyons, with Lindsay Lohan, which is one of the worst movies of the millennium. And there's no going away. That's pretty big. It, it, it is it's so bad, and I have not really been a huge, huge fan of Schrader, and that's why watching this movie just gave me so much pleasure and shock. And how well, good especially it was. since you are a big Bergman fan, and I am a big Bergman and it fan. Real Winter, Winter Light yep. is one of uh, is probably my third or fourth favorite Bergman. It's, a, that's it's one a, of my favorites. I yeah. love that's the Berg, early movie. '60s Bergman. It's yeah. just beautiful, and, austere. And, uh, yeah, I love that movie, and I loved uh, um, First Reformed. Now, I'm tying it with a movie that I don't think either one of you have seen. And in fact, I don't think anyone has seen it but me. But it, it is a rom-com. It is a really good rom-com. Really? Remember those? And it's yeah. called Juliet Naked. Oh, yeah, oh, but where I he's heard, the, uh, where the Nick Hornby thing, right? Yes, right, it's, where it's he's based the singer. on a Nick Hornby. Yeah, 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 yeah. It is an absolute delightful movie. Huh. It's, it's, who plays the woman? Uh, Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne, who I, yep. Who I, I like love. Yep. I, I still think she should have been... Uh, Nominated for Spy. I think that is one of the funniest performances. <laughs> I um, love that movie. It, I do too. It, 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 oh it, I think God. it is the funniest movie in the last 20 years. I think it's one of the best comedy. I don't know if comedies. I'd go 20, but certainly in the last oh, few. Boy, I mean, I can't think of anything that's made me laugh more happily. But anyway, this is a rom-com. It has a serious side, and it deals... Um, it, it's, it's a story. Chris O'Dowd is obsessed with this singer played by um, uh, Ethan Hawke. And through weird circumstances, his girlfriend, who's not happy in uh, their relationship, gets to be um, pen pals on, online. And I, I don't want to even go into it. And he plays, he's he's like given up his career or he sort totally. of disappeared or something. He's yeah. totally, he has children all over the place. <laughs> and the movie is just a, a pure delight. And it's funny, I, I 
Didn't have it on my top 10 originally. I had it on my second 10. And then I kept thinking about it more and more. I said, God, I really like this movie. And every time I saw that Ethan Hawke had won an award for Best Actor, I kept thinking, yeah, he was great in First Reform, but they should also mention Juliet Naked. He's so different in it. Mm -hmm. He's funny. I mean, and it, it's not a goofy uh, rom-com, but it, it, it's a rom-com that works, and you come out of there feeling really, really happy. And I cannot understand why it didn't do any business. And, you know, Hornsby is, oh, is a right. smart writer and clever. And, and especially if you liked, uh, what was the uh, Hornsby movie with um, uh, John Cusack? High Fidelity. If you like High Fidelity, which I do. you'll like this movie. Yeah, and About a Boy was also based and on Hornsby, which was about wonderful. About a Boy, which I, I yep. actually I like that book, I guess too. I have yeah. been completely forgiven now for my Ethan Hawke incident. You have. You can tell him about the Ethan Hawkins. Well, perhaps we should wait till the end. All right, we'll wait till the end. Okay, you have. All right. I have. But anyway, that is my tie for third place. And any oh, uh, just uh, Ethan. I wanted to give the director's uh, director's name is uh, Jesse Perez. Hmm. And um, as I say, Chris O'Dowd, Rose Byrne, Ethan Hawke, and it's the best one I've seen. And, and he's wonderful. In it. He was wonderful in another movie. Uh, called Love After Love, which is with Andy McDowell. Very serious movie. Hmm. That's on my second ten. There were a lot of lo little movies this year that were just so good. And it's nice. And, you know, a couple of years ago, everyone was writing, you know, obituaries for the little movie. No. And all, oh, all we can do is uh, Marvel blockbusters. Well, it turns out mm -hmm. that's not necessarily so. But uh, the, the, it was directed, um, where is it? Um, Jesse Perez, he directed uh, that uh, Our Idiot Brother with um, Paul Rudd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I did not see good. that. Yeah. But this is better. Anyway. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about my, my number three because I know it's higher on your guys' lists, but um, my number three is Quadone's uh, Roma. Um, and what an interesting director. I mean, talk about a director. I mean, you know, yeah. Del Toro and Yauri, too, the other two great Mexican New Wave directors, they sort of have a, th a theme that runs through. If you tried to do an auteurist study of Cuaron, he would be kind of challenging because this is a guy who, you know, did Itumama Tambien. He did um, probably the best Harry Potter. Harry Potter film, Absolutely. Azkaban the Third one, which I loved. He did Children of Men, which very in its own quiet way, I just think one of the best science fiction movies ever made. Um, and then Gravity. Uh, which, you one know, of my favorite space movies. Right, and so beautiful. Gravity, Gravity was great. Yeah. yeah, and he deserved, I mean, there's a reason that those three of them have locked up, except for La La Land, they've locked up Best Director for it's the last five interesting. years. Interesting, there is sort of a... A similarity between gravity and Roma, which we can talk about later. So oh, interesting character. All right, and you know, I loved just the way it's shot and I, the the politics of it. I mean, because you know, we're going to talk about Black Panther in a little while, and that is sort of the intersectionality of race and gender. <coughs> Roma is the intersectionality of gender and social class because, yeah. you know, the friend, the main friendship between the two women is definitely there is a wall there of the social class. But I, it, it, it brought to mind Fellini. It, it breaks down, no, as you go. Right, down. and mm -hmm. that's, that's yeah. the, one of the beautiful things about it. It, it brought to mind Fellini, like Sita. the Amarcord and Vitelloni Fellini, you know, when he's reminiscing about the, his the scene, child. Mm -hmm. The scene yeah. at the, that paramilitary group. When right. They're all, they're oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we find out what a jerk he is. Yeah, and which and and it also reminded me of the Apu trilogy of Satyajit mm, yeah. Ray. But also, um, yes, although, and there's also that scene that's 
it's not a reference to because it's something that he was remembering about. But when they're on the go to the country for that little vacation, oh right, when they're doing the shooting from uh, Rules of the Game. Yes, exactly, exactly, and you know, and also there, uh, Michael Phillips, who writes for um, one of my favorite film critics, writes for Chicago Trib, compared the fullness of the frame to t- uh, Jacques Tati's Playtime, which is about as high a compliment as you can pay pay to a film. I didn't really see that, but the use of the frame is amazing. But what I did love about this more than anything else is the way that the really important stuff seems to happen in the background. Yes. I would say that easily the most powerful scene I saw all year is when she gives birth to the stillborn baby. And she's oh she's in the front, and in the back, they're the wrapping back the baby the right. up oh, in... Yeah. Oh. oh, my God. And, yeah. you know, and you, and, and in the ocean scene at the end, the you don't... Yeah. I will never forget that well, as long right. as I live. That... Yeah. I'll save that to the end about how, about how that affects Well, and also even mm-hmm. when she's in the furnace, you, you don't even really see much of the of the Corpus Christi Revolution, which is, you know, based on the real-life incident in 71. But, you know, it happens while she's in the furniture store with... We should give a little the, background about that, because basically Mexico was a dictatorship at this time. Right. Mm-hmm. And they were going to... They were had like a... A... a, a a terrorist group going on, basically going into the the hills and rural areas and terrorizing the the poor, the poor people or whatever. There was eventually there was the protests by students, and the Corpus Christi thing. When we see him, when we realize that he's part of this paramilitary right. group that was trying to look like they were part of the protest movement, but their attack. Mm-hmm. The student protesters on the Corpus Christi yeah, and it's, uh, massacre. There was approximately 120 people killed. That yep, day. and it, it's. But I love that it happens outside. It's like it's, yes. like, it's like again. Yeah. It's like those Godard well, movies. It, and stay, the, it stays from their point of view, right? So we're, there's there. It's, it's like Hitchcock. It's, and it's like those Godard movies in the 60s where there's all kinds of political stuff happening just outside yeah. the frame and you hear it on the radio or you hear it outside the window and it just seeps in in a, in a really wonderful way. I mean, and just so beautifully shot. I mean, you know, yeah. stunning. And I saw it at home on Netflix and uh, I, I don't feel like I lost a thing. Oh, that's I, wonderful because I, I saw it at a, at, a, at a screening. screening and I kept thinking, oh God, I wouldn't want to see this. The first time on well, Netflix, but apparently I watched it at home. It didn't lose any of its power. Yeah, that's great. And you know, a great uh, you know the, the, the guy. My another favorite scene is when the the father is uh, is at the hospital, and they're like, "Oh, you can come in and watch." Oh, yeah, yeah. There's and he's like, "Oh, oh no, 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 I haven't." Yeah, yeah. The, the men the men are the men are. All of them are awful in this film, but the women aren't totally saints either. No. And you know they're 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 painted in in a lot of different colors, and it's you know so clearly, like Amarcord was a film from his heart, you know, and paying yes. tribute to this woman who yes. helped to raise him. Yeah. It's a little heavy handed sometimes. The film you know there's an earthquake, and then you know, and then the there's the one the incubator gets crushed. There was one the yeah. one little moment that I would have any criticism of was when. They first, when they go to the house in the in the country, mm-hmm. it's that sort of vacation, and then the, the, the one the other one that she knows there says, "Oh, come downstairs with me, whatever, and have a drink." And she's about to drink, and there's a guy that's dancing and bumps into her and knocks the glass out and it breaks, and he stays on that broken yeah little... for quite a while. And I was like, "I got it. Yep, I got it. I got it." <laughs> 
So yeah, but I mean, we're really he did we, edit it himself. We 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 are, we are nitpicking though because yes. it is it's a yes. film that has at least five or six scenes that will stay in everybody's memory. And again, re reconfirms. I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. I mean, neither. And I, it re reconfirms Quaron as, you know, one of our most important directors. And you never know what he's going to do next. You can pretty much guess what Del Toro is going to do next. And I don't say that as a criticism because I love his films. But um, Quaron, you just never know. It's just a, a beautifully s surprising, lovely film. Yeah. Johnny, your number three? First Reformed. We're there going you back go. All right. That's all of our list. No, that's all right. We're back to Ethan Hawke. Much love for the man. Um, since we are back to first reformate, we should talk about the ending. Yeah, because some people don't like the ending. I know, and it was not his original ending. I oh, think, really? I, no, I think his original ending, he blows himself up. Oh, right with with the the guy who committed suicide has the bomb. Yes. And yeah, yeah. And what I keep thinking about with that ending is, what happens? Yeah, I'm not really sure. I mean, you don't really know. Becomes... The other thing I kept thinking is that during that embrace, he still has the barbed wire wrapped around mm -hmm. him. Right. So it's kind of like. Is it that he's become like Christ-like? As I said, is it like the end well, of Dryer's Ordet, where yeah. you know, where the where someone is actually brought back to life in a very matter-of-fact way? Yeah. So I mean, it could be. I mean, you do see. You do see them drawing to each other closer and closer. Is that there's that levitation scene? Yep. Which, yeah, which was highly unusual to yeah. say the least. But at the same time, I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked. Yeah, it wasn't like I wasn't watching the movie. I wasn't saying, taking it is, right. What's that? The hell is this in here for? I wasn't was, taken I out of the movie. I didn't feel that no. way at yeah. all. I was never totally taken out of the movie. No, I I, I completely I agree mean, with I, both. As of I you. said before, I was just so shocked that this was such a great Paul Schrader movie. It was yeah. like, but but after, <laughs> but I, I, when I after it was over, I just kept saying. What happens there? What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to him? Um, because he's not going to be able to be the the minister at that priest at that that church anymore. Well, or is he is that is he does still he even, alive? I he, mean, or, he, well, we don't yeah. know. It's it's very ambiguous. It's yeah. very ambiguous. I I for a moment I thought, well, do they together decide to blow up the place? No, that wouldn't happen because she was dead set against that, and she's pregnant. Right, and that was part of the whole how what kind of draw them together to begin with because she wanted him to talk to her husband because he was so wrapped up into the whole in in Winterlight it's nuclear war that the yes, husband's obsessed yes, about is, right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. he was so obsessed with global warming climate change and everything he didn't think it was right to bring a child into the world and she wanted her to have an abortion. Also, the best drink recipe of the year: uh, Pepto Bismol and whiskey. <laughs> That works too. A lot of whiskey consumed. In Vodka and cornflakes, yeah. Drano. Yeah. Drano. There is one part of the movie I have a problem with. Shoot. And that is his outburst towards uh, the quiet, the, the choir master. Uh, what is her name? Uh, Victoria Hills, the actress. Everybody's very good in this. Yes. Yeah. No, and they've, they've had Esther, some kind of friendship Esther before. Or... Esther, well, they had, they had an affair. Right. She's still... Wants, she wants to continue in a relationship, but I thought his outburst towards her was cruel. And he was not a cruel person. It was completely out of character. Mm. He's mm. a very kind person. That's part of his I, but, but I felt, I saw the Bergman in that. I mean, because mm -hmm. nice. he was, 
Uh, he's tortured, and it's it's coming out. But like, I saw. But, I don't but think... he was very very cruel. Uh, I, don't... I can't. Re- Thomas and Marta. That was the, the name yeah. of the characters. Yeah. He was very cruel. Yes. To uh, England. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. Yep. In winter light. Yeah. And I don't. I, I, that kindness is not natural, though. It doesn't come. It comes across as being very forced. It's like, okay, I, you know, now in my ministerial role, I have to be kind. So I'm going to well, be he's kind. Tr- everything is turning inside. That's right. partly why he's becoming one. Isn't he? He's also sick. He has cancer. Right. I mean, nice little Ikiru uh, nod there. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and of course, Diary of a Country Priest. Yeah. So, but. Uh, that was a brilliant movie. And, at, boy, it's not even out of left field. It's out of the ballpark. I mean, because Schrader, who, you know, who yeah. knew? Yeah. I, I, who would have thought? Yeah. And, and again, I would, I, I defy anybody, any of, any of our four fans out there now, we got another one, to... Um, and, and, and again, it brings up a, an extremely important issue, but it never felt preachy at Right, all. never hits you over the head. At all. It is currently streaming on Amazon. And it's worth the while. And if yeah. you, um, and again, I defy anybody to find a better film made in this decade by any of the '70s, you know, Hollywood new wave directors. I don't think, uh, I don't think there has been one. All right, we're up to number two. Okay, Michele, two Don Michele is another movie that I wasn't that surprised how much I liked it, but uh, it, it really is. Possibly one of the most beautifully shot black and white movies I've ever seen, and it's Cold War. Mm. Uh, directed by Paweł Palikowski, and uh, he won the Oscar four years ago for Ida. For Ida. And it is done much in the same as black and white. It is done in that... Um, the ratio, the Academy ratio. The Academy yep. ratio. And this, this movie covers more time, though, than Ida did. This is a... Uh, kind of a doomed love story between two musicians. Uh, it starts in 1949. Based on his parents, no? It's dedicated to his parents. If those were his parents, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it explains why he became an artist anyway. Yes, and a tortured artist. Uh, like uh, Ida, there's not a lot of humor in this. But it is... I, I just, I've seen it now twice. I've gone to the theater and paid to see this movie twice. Because I just cannot stop looking at the photography mm. of this film. Um, I can't even. It, it, it's just. Uh, it goes from um, from Warsaw to um, um, uh, where, where does it go? Uh, Russia. There's several scenes in Paris, and it it spans a time of um, hmm, about seventeen years. Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. I thought it was basically the early 60s. No, no. no. It starts oh. in 1949, oh. after the war, oh. um, where this girl, uh, it's basically, uh, it deals a lot with, you know, communism because yes. of Poland. Yeah. Um, I, I almost don't want to give out, since you guys haven't seen it, I don't want to really talk right. too much about the plot. I'm just saying, if you can, just just go and please try to see it at a theater because it's just it's it just so, opened here, right? No, it's, it's it was over, it's just just opened over uh, right nearby the theater on, on, on Second, Second Avenue. Avenue. Oh, yeah, oh, nice. yeah uh, go see it. Uh, it was it was at the film forum at Christmas. Literally, one theater was showing that, and the other one was showing Cape of Home. And um, uh, I, 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 as beautiful as uh, Caron's. Um, uh, photography of, uh, of Roma is I'm kind of rooting for Cold War to win the Cinematography Award 
because I, I I'm just so it's that beautifully shot. I'm just so entranced. Wow. I would say it's possibly for me the best photo, uh, photographed black and white movie I've ever seen. I, I may be wrong. Whoa, I, that's big. You've I, seen a few black and white. I have movies. seen a few. <laughs> I just maybe Manhattan. I don't know. But uh, or, or the Elephant Man or, mm. or the Innocence. Though that's another one I think of when I think of beautiful black and white photography. But um, uh, it, it's so you say it, it because it's it's prominence at the Golden Globes and some of the other awards was kind of a surprise to a lot of people. But you're that saying one, it's, I wasn't it's surprised. It's totally worth it. it. It's totally it should be up for Best Picture. Uh, this um, uh, woman um, is it up for foreign? It's up for foreign. Yeah. It's up for direction. That's a tough category. Yeah, I know. It, that was it, a... it knocked off Peter Fairlight. Jesus. No, it also <laughs> knocked off my number one director, but that's a whole story that's coming up soon. Oh, yes. Well. <clears throat> Not that I'm bitter. But, um, but yeah. Fer- <laughs> but okay, but bitter. he wasn't nominated for the director's skill, and Fairley was. And that's. Uh, I'm I, telling you, I, man. If Green, I say this every year, but if about something. But if Green, oh, Book, Green wins, Book wins, I'm going to break TV my TV out the window. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> Look out below. It's going to be an ugly night. I still don't see it happening. But <laughs> I hope not. I hope not too. All right. So speaking anyway. of best picture nominees, my number two, um, and you should know, dear audience, that I am a not a fan of. Uh, superhero movies, rather the opposite, and B, that I grew up as a DC kid, not a Marvel kid. So I, you know, I was a Justice League person. I was, I was not uh, Avengers. Um, but I, I, and so I was stunned, and I've seen it three times now, twice in the theater and once at home. I am still stunned by how good Black Panther is. And I think that Black Panther, first of all, Maybe Nolan's Dark Knight is the only other superhero movie that deserves to be mentioned outside of its category as just a brilliant movie. And what makes it... I like Black Panther more. Much Me too, much more. Well, Dark Knight is a little too long. <gasps> it kind of should have... It, it ends three times or so, and My then they finally... Dark Knight was it took itself so serious. Well, there's the line in the film, right? Why and Black Panther, so serious? And Black Panther had a nice sense of humor. Yes. Did I ever tell you how John got those scars? <laughs> I do. I, it's a great performance, but this. But what I. But whereas Dark Knight was a psychological exploration, um, Black Panther is much more a political exploration because it has the whole the whole politics behind the film. You know, the, the premise, of course, is that. Um, is that Wakanda, this country in Africa that's sort of surrounded by mountains and such, has was you know, a comet landed with vibranium and it's this incredible metal and they've built this incredible society, but they have chosen to keep it to themselves, to remain hidden, you know, in the fear that like every other resource in Africa, someone would come in and swipe it and take it and ruin it and use it for destruction, but. The so-called villain of the piece, which is Michael B. Jordan's character, Who is Killmonger. Great in it. Oh, oh my yeah, yeah. God, he's um, great. You know, his he's he's not a bad guy. He well, he edges into bad guy by saying, and this is debate that's been going on in Wakanda forever. Should we do we have an obligation to the darker skinned peoples of the world who are suffering in such number to share this technology with them and help them, or do we preserve it by keeping it to ourselves? When Michael B. Jordan takes over, he takes it one step further and wants revenge. Yeah. He says, you know, we were the colonized, now we're going to be the colonizers. Right. And so you get this, this amazing political subtext of, you know, what would have happened to a part of Africa that was 
was untouched by imperialism yeah. and colonialism. How would it have developed? You know, and and so that's there. You also, as I said before, it's not only a movie that's that stands out because of. It has a black superhero and all black characters and an all black creative team. It's also the powerful women. I mean, first of all, you start with Angela yeah, Bassett as the queen. The entire army is women. And the Q character, the one who keeps coming up with the gadgets, is his sister. Right. So, I mean, it's not it's not just a triumph of an unexpected triumph of race. It's also an unexpected um, triumph of gender, too. And, it, it, you know, it's just it's going to be looked at, I think, in future years as a landmark film because, yes, it proved that audiences in America and more importantly, maybe outside of America have, you know, are willing to see to spend a billion dollars worldwide on a film with a black superhero. I mean, when Michael B is the second most interesting person in the film you know you got a good movie going Chadwick Boseman is great all that all the acting is really good um and I'm sorry you I would say without any reservation or hesitation that you know someone whose first three films are Fruitvale Station which if you haven't seen it go out and rent it Fruitvale tonight Fruitvale Station is excellent right Creed which for my money was the better reboot of a 70s franchise than the Star Wars reboot was that year that yeah, it came but out. Yeah, they were rebooting such a bad franchise. And, well, but I mean, totally look, turn, I mean, I I loved Creed. Creed 2 was good, but I read included. And I then, thought it was the same movie. And his third film was, was, was Black Panther. So that's a pretty damn good start for a career to Ryan Coogler. And what's amazing to me, we were talking about blind spotting before, is how Coogler manages to bring his Oakland childhood mm-hmm. his background into it through yeah. Michael B Jordan's character and Michael I think you're right I mean I don't think I don't think Michael B can do anything wrong he at really, this point he's I, astonishing I, I would have liked to have seen him nominated for supporting actor I was kind of disappointed right and and you know let's let's just kept uh, kept running in my mind and it's something mm-hmm. I teach to make that, that, that the first university in the world my friends uh, it's barely left standing now because of the civil war there but the first university in the world was in Mali was in Timbuktu it was not in Europe and so again the film in addition to being a fantastic act with great action sequences and gadgets and stuff but that you can see anywhere but this has this sort of political socio-political gender all these, all these elements to it, and it just absolutely transcends no, its genre. It's definitely, definitely much smarter than your average. Oh, totally. Superhero yeah. movie. I, uh, and the villain has a point. Yeah. yeah. And he's not really a villain. He's not no, a he's, mustache twirling. No, like, no, not at all. Like the villain in the Avengers film, you know, Thanos yeah. is, you know, just this, you know, evil entity. I got you. For the most part, I go see, I see a um, superhero movie maybe once a year, and I promptly forget it. I just will see it, oh, yeah, nice, and then I forget it. And this one is is one of the very, very few superhero movie comic movies I've seen where I remember scenes. Yes. It, it, it was for the longest time on my top ten list, and then just other movies came that I liked even more, so it's on my honorable mention list, but it is a truly, truly great mass market movie. Yeah. And, and also be the best I've seen since the original Star Wars. Yeah, I, I would add, you know, and that's you know that's a foundational yeah. film for me. But I don't disagree with you in putting it, it in that category. Yeah. And you know, 
people, young people who are 11, 12, 13, like I was when the first Star Wars come out, may think of Black Panther as my generation thinks mm-hmm. of Star Wars. And I did not expect to like it as much as I did. I was pleasantly shocking, pleasantly smart, surprised. smart, smart. And you know, Ryan Coogler is yeah. off to a hell of a start. As, and as you know, as John was saying before, I think that you know, the test is that I, I want to see it again. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it three times, and I would be I I would be happy to sit down and watch it again mm-hmm. right now. It's that good. So um, I don't think it's going to win anything at the Oscars. I think it might. This is a guess from me, and take it for what it's worth. I cannot see Roma winning both Best Picture and Best, and best Foreign, Foreign Film. It could happen, but I don't see it. I could see it splitting, and I could see Black Panther taking me, Best that Picture. That would be something. And Roma. That would I be could, something. I really could see it happening, especially since last night the SAG Awards gave it the best uh, ensemble cast. Ensemble cast. Yep. So it could happen. John, number number two. Well, my number two is Black Klansmen's, and we've already talked quite a bit about that. I no, that's okay. Anything else to say, actually. What was <laughs> what, what was the what's the couple of scenes that are going to stick with you from that? Boy, um, I loved I loved the scene when he first goes to listen to the speaker. Oh, he took to uh, Kwame Ture. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then when and then when he. It's beautifully shot too. Yes. I remember beautifully shot, and and the way the way he filmed that, the the close-ups of the people, sort of like floating in space, like they're going through a, a transition. Beautiful in life, and and also the the really interesting relationship between uh, the John David Washington character and Laura Harrier. Yeah, was was completely believable yeah. at every turn. It was. Yeah. Yep. I, I, I absolutely agree, and uh, it's just it's just so nice to see Spike back and back and, and forth. But and again, I want to I want to say how it, 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 it I said this before how it deals with an extremely important disturbing issue, but it's so entertaining. Yes, yeah, it's hilarious. It's moving. It's <laughs> tense. It's it's everything. What did you think of the ending? Did you think the ending was was heavy handed? Oh, the or part you mean the part the, that show, was added on, right? Showing the, the the footage from Charlotte's. When I when I when I thought about it afterwards, it's like hmm, you probably didn't really need that. But I understand why he put it there. When I was watching it, I was very moved by it, and not in a good way. It just oh. made me feel very unhappy. I'd seen the footage, but ne- never on a big screen, and it was yeah. so powerful. I had no yeah. problem with the ending. Um, I, I actually I understand why he would do that because he's basically just saying like, see, it has not gone no away. Yeah, no. Just like the when the one policeman says to uh, the John David Washington character, just like, when are you going to wake up? Yeah, and there's that phrase in Spike Lee's work again. <laughs> Waking up is big yes. in Spike. All right, so before we go to our number ones, let's just quickly run down our six through ten so we can send people off scurrying to watch all kinds of uh, good stuff. Mike. Okay, and my number 10 is um, the favorite. Uh, I think this is uh, La Fathomos. I can never pronounce his name. Best film, much better than the overrated Lobster and the way overrated and wretched Killing of a Sacred Deer. Yes, I know. Everybody hated that. (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, And the three women are are superb. Olivia Colman, Emma Stone, and especially uh, Rachel Weisz. Number nine, Black Klansman. <laughs> no need to say anything more. Number eight, Eighth Grade. 
a movie I was shocked on my list. that I liked. Um, Stunning. Uh, this fellow, Bo Burnham, who I guess is a big uh, comedian on YouTube. It's possibly one of the best films I've ever seen about adolescence. The uh, young lady, uh, Elsie Fisher, totally wonderful. And it's something you never, never see in movies, Hollywood movies on young, uh, young people. Acne. <laughs> yes, this and, is true. No, and this you see, you see it, and you know I'm someone who you know mm-hmm. deals with the 12, 13, 14 year olds yeah. every day in my job, and, and I can I can tell you that with it's social anxiety. Oh. And what's really interesting is that she produces vlogs yep. to, to yeah. give advice. Oh God, <laughs> it's so painfully I... accurate. The did the wish she's in the back back seat of the car with the boy, and that's oh my God, it's just perfect. And yeah. you. On my list, too. Yeah, me too. Oh, great. All right. Number seven, uh, The Death of Stalin. Which I didn't see. Oh, it's on... Have you got Showtime? Yeah, yeah. I got to catch that. Amanda and Lucy... Lucci. Perfect satire with the great Steve Buscemi as Khrushchev. He is great. (laughs) What is he not great in? (laughs) Yeah. Number six, um, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, the Melissa Uh, McCarthy. Yes. With uh, directed by uh, Mariel Heller. With wonderful, fantastic performances by um, uh, Melissa McCarthy and um, Richard E. Grant, and also he was great. Totally one, and also small, really gem performances. Jane Curtin shows up; she's yeah. great in it. Um, the monologue is um, place you saw it. The place the girlfriend. Um, I can't think of her. Anna Devere Smith. Anna Devere Smith. Ah. Yes. No, she just has a small. She just has, but she she's wonderful in it. Is Dolly Wells that plays the bookstore? Yes. Yeah. Because I thought that was really the saddest part. Oh, it's it's not. I mean, some people. The story itself is so mm. unusual. It's true, right? It's based on a true story. My father knew Lee Israel. Oh, really? Really? Well, I don't know how well he knew her. he was a reference. He gave her a reference for a book that she wrote, a biography of Dorothy Kilgallen. Oh, okay. And that he knew, and so he. I remember him showing me the, the acknowledgement in the book. So this was when Lee Israel was uh, had had better days. If you don't know anything about the movie, just go totally blind. It's a fascinating story. And so that those right, are my good. other. Uh, so you um, want me to give the best? No, you, no, 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 no. For me, uh, okay. for me, my number ten is Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Maybe I'm a little too happy to see the Coens back in action, but look, guys, any film that un- I thought it was uneven. Yeah, but it's an anthology piece, and the and the good the the good parts were fantastic. I mean, well, that, the the opening thing with Tim Blake Nelson yeah, that is was, as, that was hilarious. Great. Right. I mean, in it's a rather sick humor way, but it was hilarious. Are we, are we supposed to presume that they're all going to hell in the last? Oh one? yeah, absolutely. Okay. The best use of the word cognomen ever in a film. Mm. Uh, you know, it's that that classic, you know, uh, Coen Brothers sort of antiquated dialogue that Nick Cage has in Raising Arizona and so many other characters, that kind of formal diction. I, I, the, the good parts made the not-so-good parts worthwhile yeah, were, to me. I, there were there was just five episodes. There were three I liked. The first one I loved. I yeah. Think yeah. Just the Tim Blake Nelson one. second yeah. one I liked, and I think that the one with James, Liam Neeson. James Falco was... has the best line in the movie. I don't want to spoil it for First anybody. Time. Yeah, yeah, okay. Spoil it for yeah, okay. Listening, but that was the best line in the movie. Yep. And I did like the one with um, the brother and sister, except I hate oh, the, the ending. I, I didn't like, yeah. but and I love the one with Tom Waits too as the prospector. I thought that was really yeah, good. That so one interesting. I didn't like so much. 
Yeah. I, did, did we all I did not like the Liam Neeson one at all. That was well. It's interesting on you know some dis- on the disability front, but again, that's the Cohen brothers saying that. But did you like? W- the, did you like the last one? No, no, I no. didn't either. Yeah. I like the beginning of it, and then when they and well, you see where it ends up. But I, uh, you know, the the um, the one with Liam Neeson. Uh, is is the Cohen brothers, you know, saying that people would rather see the chicken that can count than this guy reciting, you know, it, it, it's the Cohen brothers talking yeah. about the lack of popularity of their own art. I mean, that's how I read it. That artistic, uh, artistic excellence will always get trumped by the spectacle. And since you probably watched it on Netflix yes. or whatever, which is what I did. Anybody out there, you can watch it in part since it's episode. So, yeah. I mean, because the first one is it's just which yeah. well, right. The whole thing is worth it just for the opening. I mean, um, absolutely hilarious. My number yes. number nine is is Annihilation. Um, Ex Machina was a was a mind opening film to me by Alex Garland, and to me, Annihilation is even better. Um, oh, a wow. sci-fi Ex Machina is one of the few sci-fi movies yep. I've seen in the last. You know what's something, Mike? It's really, really interesting. Like. You're the third person who said that to yeah. me. Who said I generally don't like sci-fi movies, and I loved Ex and Machina. That, that, that was the year I had to. Uh, I was a, a nominator for a SAG, and I had to see everything. And I thought, oh, I gotta see this, and I really, yep. really liked. And it. Annihilation is is uh, is beautiful. It's sort of a meta. I mean, the subject. Uh, it is also in its own way an ecological metaphor, but much smarter than Mother. Um, five great actresses in the leads. When's the last time you saw a sci-fi action film with five women in the lead? And Who is uh, it? Is it Tony Collette? Well, no, led by um, uh, Natalie Portman. Oh, Natalie is the Portman. Main one. Tess Thompson's in it. I mean, just really outstanding, smart, confusing, but I think, you know, <laughs> the central metaphor is is cancer, is disease. And um, the <coughs> idea that, that the Earth has sort of become infected is sort of the main point of Annihilation. But it's, I'm not even beginning to do it justice. It's so beautiful visually and just stunning. I really is recommend it. Is that streaming it. anywhere? Or it's on? I don't know. Okay. Mm. Number eight is Sorry to Bother You, uh, which I think it should have at least gotten a screenplay nomination because, again, you're right, Mike, it goes off the rails at the end. But with the hor- I admired it. But, I mean, I've never quite seen anything. I mean, and while... While it was on the rails, the satire was as sharp as it was in Get Out, uh, which it reminded me of a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Number seven is Isle of Dogs for me, you know, which, and John has, you know, expressed perfectly why that's such a worthwhile thing. And number six is Eighth Grade for me. Oh, so that's my, that's my six through ten, John. Uh, eighth Grade's awesome. So uh, just a quickly, because we've already talked about some of these, uh, Black Panther, Death of Stalin, the thing about eighth grade, I think, that is so effective is that you feel her awkwardness. Yes, well, you you viscerally you, you squirm. Yep, and I think that's why some people don't like it. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Who does? I mean, I, I've, yet I've to talked meet... to some people who who wow. didn't like the movie. I've talked to some people who really who loved it, but but it really does. You really do feel her awkwardness. Then again, when does anybody ever say, "God, if I could only go back to middle school." That would be great. I also <laughs> want to put in a put in a note for uh, Josh Hamilton, who's I thought superb as her father. Yep. Yeah. He yes. Really, yeah. Good. really good. Really, really good. good. Yeah. I mean, he's been around. I mean, forever. obviously, he he cares about her so much and is so concerned about her. But that scene when he's watching her at the mall is like, oh, no. stop, God. stop. <laughs> uh, Painful. Uh, can you ever forgive me? Also, sure. Oh. Um, and also Death of Silent or whatever. Uh, 
Private Life, which we haven't mentioned. Hmm. That's your six? That's your, I don't know. It's yeah, hard for me to put these in General order, six through with, ten. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, with Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn, I thought they're that was wonderful. Very, they are great. Names. And what's the, the wait? Is that the one where they're trying to have a baby? Yes. yes. Or, right. No, I didn't see that. I oh, it's it. on uh, yeah. Netflix. Yeah. And it was playing for like two weeks. And they live in the East Village. Yes, mm-hmm. if you call it living, and we do. That's, uh, <laughs> who, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Tamara Jenkins. That's the right. Director. Oh. That's right. Yeah, no, it's a good movie. Very, all right, interesting. Said, Written and directed by Tamara Jenkins. It was very original. Yes. That's how kind of how I felt about Can You Ever Forgive Me, too. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like when I was watching, like, I've never seen anything, any story like this before. Yeah. Did you guys see the movie about the, the, the manager of the, like, Hooters-type restaurant and how she sort of takes no, care? No, I wanted to see it. What's it, it called? Um, it's supposed to be... Support the Girls. Right, Support the Girls. It's supposed uh, to be really the good, actress, too. The actress, um, Regina Hall, yeah, won who the was New York in... Film Critics Award. Not Regina King. Oh, Regina Hall. This okay, because Regina, Regina King right, is won, the one in um, uh, uh, if, if Beale Street could Beale, talk. Yep. This is Regina Hall, and she won the New York Film Critics Award as Best Actress, and I can't find it anywhere. Beautiful. We, uh, I yeah, definitely want to track really that. I really want to see. Boy, that. again, sorry to repeat myself, but what a year for African American characters, and stories, films. and filmmakers. Yep. Yeah. All right, it's time for num- the you've been moment you've been waiting for. It's time for number one, and we'll start with Michael. Michael, what's your best of the year? Mama. Yeah. Um, I can surely I, see that. Uh, it's mine too, so let's really talk about it. Okay. Uh, first of all, I just got to give this this director so much credit. Because after after a movie uh, like um, Gravity, which made a zillion dollars, he could have done anything he wanted to. That's he right. could have done the biggest... Hollywood, whatever, and and you know, made a zillion dollars, make himself another zillion dollars, and instead he chose to make this small, intimate, heartfelt movie, mm. and um, it's a labor of love. It's, it's, a, it's a labor that. of love. I, I I've talked to a few people who've been to ha- who have been put off by the movie. Really? They, yeah. Uh, one of the criticisms is that she's too um, um, passive. But the character is too passive. Until the end. Yeah. Well, she's not. She's not. She's not passive. I think. I think the fact that one of the things I really liked about mm-hmm. it is how it's it's so real. Mm-hmm. And you talked about this before. His his creation of the Maison scene. You just you're able to just see everything that's right. going on. He's, there's not there's not a manipulative uh, editing where it's cutting exactly close ups, the far shots, and everything. He's just allowing everything to happen, and it creates a reality. And her everyday existence, these mundane chores she does every single day, becomes heroic. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And and by the end of the movie, she really she, is. She heroic. actually is heroic. Yeah. She is. Yeah. There's no music. Yeah, except is, for source music. Except for the, right, except the back for, the, for a diegetic yeah, thing in the background. There's yeah. no score, and I think that works for this. Yeah. I, actually, yeah. one of my... Well, pro- answer to, reality, to the, the feeling of reality. One yes. of my problems with a lot of... Well, maybe not a lot, but some contemporary movies is I, I find they're overscored, and then there's almost too well, much. Not, music. Oh, not, like Chris Nolan, yeah, my God. Well, not nearly as much as some of the old studio films. It was wall-to-wall music. True, but I, I, Max Steiner, mm, yes, raise an eyebrow and the full orchestra. Dimitri <laughs> Tiomkin, <laughs> but um, Franz Waxman. 
I, I, I just like saying that name. And in fact, some of the earlier you're going to hit me for this. Some of the earlier Spike Lee movies, I feel that way. Oh well, yes. Jung- Jungle. Oh. The only, for my money, the only reason Jungle Fever is not in the same league as Do the Right Thing is because the soundtrack, which was done by Stevie Wonder, I mean God Among Men, is terrible. It's, it's yeah. and it's really awful, and it has yeah. nothing to do with the film at yeah. all. So, but. Um, uh, and I, I, as I say, I've talked to several people who've watched it on Netflix who haven't been able to get through the whole thing. So maybe it may not be for wow. everyone, but uh, it's I, I, it's one and of those. Those are probably also. I think some people are so conditioned by by watching a lot of TV, they're used to seeing a lot of close-ups. Right. Mm. And you don't have that in no. this movie. No, no. They have you have all the, the that's where the the comparison to Tati comes in. All the busy action in all yeah. all corners of the frame and in the Which background. Which is a testament to him that the way he was able to direct all his actors to be able to do all the right things at the right time together. In in, in the for, in the front, in the middle, and in the back of yeah. the frame. Yep. Yeah. And she is great. She's wonderful. Amazing. Uh, Amazing. I was Yalisa. so happy. Aparicio. I was so happy. No formal training in no. acting. She has a degree in early childhood education. She has. She was on her way. Hopefully you yet, Josh. Yes, someday. I could. <laughs> and a boy so, can dream, John. And I was uh, <laughs> happy that she got nominated. I was stunned that the other actress got nominated. Who plays the, wife, who plays the mother, yeah. yeah. That really That was a surprise, me. yes. Yeah. But I, to me, the movie I found to be so moving. And two days after I saw the movie, when I would think about certain scenes, I would start to cry. Mm. Especially that that scene at the end on the beach oh. is one of the most powerful. Oh my and God! Oh, I will never forget that as long as I ever live. Seen. No, and as I said, the scene with with the stillborn baby yeah. also yeah. just. Oh, oh my God. And it's just kind of happening off in the background. You know, they're just wrapping the baby up. Well, that when they said, "Do you want to hold your baby?" Oh. Yeah, I mean, stunning. And then you see him trying to take it away from her. And... I, I can't wait to see what his next film will That's be. That's what I'm saying. I mean, and you have yeah, no and idea. And you have no idea. I mean, uh, I mean quite, they, what it's... a talented group of directors. Three of them yeah. are just incredible. Um, so I'm going to go uh, just very slightly, because Roma was my number three, but my number one is Leave No Trace. And I, I have to admit that there's a bit of personal stuff in there, because when I was teaching my film class at Brooklyn Academy of Music, I showed Winter's Bone twice to my my teenage audience, and Deborah Granick came twice, uh, and both uh. and both times was so lovely and charming and completely overstayed her, you know, the class ended at 7, I think the first time she stayed till 7.30 and the second time till 7.45, and just answering questions, you know, she could say, hey, I'm Deborah Granick, I directed a Best Picture nominee, I can, you know, but she was so, so clearly madly in love with film, and what Granick does, as well as anybody else I've ever seen, is establish a sense of place that we were talking yes. about before. She does it with the Ozarks and Winter's Bone, and she does it in this in the in the parklands of the Northwest. First in out in the park where they live, the father and daughter live outside of our of Portland, and then when they ultimately get to Washington in the trailer she, park, she builds a structure little piece by little piece without you being aware of it. Right. You don't you don't see it happening. Yeah. And you know this the scenes when they are separated because you know this the story is that they live together. They're they're survivalists but not arch conservative survivalists. He as John mentioned has PTSD from his experiences in the war which are never shown. 
Right. Fortunately, um, you know, right. a, a lesser director would have given us a flashback yes. to oh, yeah. the yeah. incident, yeah. you know. Yeah. And Granick, you know, is way too smart about people to do that. What, what else has she done besides those two? She did a couple of documentaries, and really, it's just you know, her reputation rests on those two films. And for me, mm. that's kind of like well, happily, she did win the L.A. Film Critics Award for direction. She didn't even get nominated. No. I mean, I, I was. I'm not surprised though. I, I, well, part of it, it was the same problem with first. Reform, A24, the, they b- released both those films, and they're considered East Coast. Yeah. And I think that ha- that was yeah. a problem. I think that's why yeah. it didn't But the movie was devastating. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. it, but in a very quiet way. In a quiet way, but also simultaneously... Heartbreaking and positive. Yes, and my and to see her grow mm-hmm. up under yeah. the and you know the, and just the John as you said before the tragedy of you know I hate to simplify it by calling it PTSD that the father yeah. is suffering through yeah. but he the tension in the film is between her every every place they sort of settle down for a little while they they have to leave and the father is okay with that because he can't sit still if he sits still for more than 10 minutes he, the memories and the nightmares yeah. come back so he's yeah. got to keep moving but she wants to lay down roots that and it's easier and, for him to be to lead a solitary life than to have to connect with people yeah absolutely it's just it it's it's just I've never quite seen anything like it and most anti-war films the ones that I love are very brutal and graphically depicting yeah the horrors of war whether it's you know paths of glory or um, or platoon but um or even hurt locker but this is as profound an anti-war film about what it does to yeah. people as as anything I've seen. And the relationship, you know, it's interesting because in Winter's Bone, the critical relationship is between the father and daughter, even though the father is gone. That's the whole thing. She has to find him before the court date, because yeah. he put up the house as Bond and they'll lose the house. Here it's literalized, and the ending, how this relationship ends at the end of the film. We don't know if they're going to see each other again, but it's just when they, you know, they do the, they click their, yes. their, their, their little... Yeah. I, I I cried like a baby both times I saw it. Yeah. So um, all oh, hell. I was, I was a mess at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all. I hell... want to see it again. Yeah. Because you should said, give it another see shot. See it on an airplane is not a good idea. Yeah. Especially and at one in the morning. I'm just so glad that Deborah Granite got to make another fiction film, and it is beautiful. So thus ends our best of 2018. Just a couple of quick shout outs. Um, we lost a couple of people since our last episode. We lost Penny Marshall. Um, who, in her own, you know, commercial way, had a nice little streak there with Big Awakenings and A League of Their Own. I think those are, those, those all three of them rise a little bit above the Hollywood cliche. No, you're not buying it. All right, okay. I tried. <laughs> I didn't like I any tried. of those movies. I tried. I tried. I, I put it out there. I got. I'm sorry. I, I got. Awakenings has very good performances. Yes, uh, she does not. And, and yes. she's very good with actors. Yeah. I like Madonna in uh, League of Their Own. I've never Madonna. liked Madonna. That's mm. no. I I did. There's at no crying in podcasts. At one point, I did uh, try to <laughs> wrote my congressman to have a, an amendment to the Constitution forbidding ex-sitcom actors and actresses from He's directing. He's a stern taskmaster, isn't he? he? I is. feel that way about Penny Marshall. I feel that way about Danny DeVito. Humbug. Uh, <laughs> for a long time, until, uh, until recently, I felt that way about Ron Howard. Uh, yeah, no, okay, I'll, I, I, withdrawn, but I, 
I respectfully submit that she she that was her, very funny on the Odd Couple. Yes, she was, and I was. I grew up as a Laverne and Shirley fan. Never too, watched so. it. All right. Um, well, perhaps I should tell my Ethan Hawke story. Yes. Oh wait, no, save it to the end because I'm just going to do okay. my, my my We have to do our necrology, you know, like the Oscars <laughs> okay. do. All right. Lost, lost this month. You know, we need music. <laughs> All right. Um, Jonas Mikas died who was the founder of, yes. of Film Comment magazine where Andrew Saris's Bringing the Auteur Theory to America happened in 1962 with notes on the Auteur Theory and also was a champion of the first generation of American experimental filmmakers like, um, like Maya Deren and Joseph Cornell and then ultimately sort of nurtured people like Kenneth Anger and Jack Smith and all the great avant-garde directors of the 60s, Dan Breakage, Shirley Clark, and uh, he, an anthology film archive still gloriously stands about 15 blocks away from here and he is going to be missed. He's someone who was really someone with a vision and Michelle Legrand died yesterday so and we were you know I was going on and on and on and on in these in these pages about how much I love Umbrellas of Cherbourg and you know if he had done he won three Oscars not for that but um, one of the great film composers I think I, I one of my favorite songs as a kid was what are you doing the rest of your life see <laughs> So you were a popular kid. Yeah. <laughs> that and that's all there is. Well, remember he got taken to seconds when you know when he was like, how old do you, you saw seconds? Like eleven. Yeah. yeah, and and the birds when he was eight. So I mean, you had no childhood. Exactly. The curmudgeon thing is kind of explained. All right. So we conclude by John telling his awesome Ethan Hawke story. John. Well, I'm trying to remember now if it was 1999 or 1998. I'm going to go with 1999. That sounds correct to me. Um, I was walking home one evening from Greenwich Village, or the borderline of the West Village, 7th Avenue South. There is an inner intersection on 7th Avenue South where 11th Street and Greenwich Street intersect. I got you. Okay. It's rather dangerous because people get confused because they see a light change and they can go, but it's not really safe to go yet because you have two streets that are going across 7th Avenue. So I'm waiting for the light to change. I kind of look over my shoulder because I am aware of someone coming behind me and it's Ethan Hawke, who is mumbling to himself. I'm quite sure he was probably reciting lines from either a movie he was doing, or perhaps he was going to be doing a performance in a play or something, I'm not sure, and he was walking a big puffy dog. Anyway, he is now standing next to me, we're waiting for the light to change, and suddenly he starts to walk into the intersection. And white van comes out of nowhere, it's always a white van. It's always a white van. van Because, (laughs) like many people, he was not realizing that that intersection is dangerous. I grabbed him from behind and pulled him back, and he said, thanks, man, and walked away. Wow, cooler than cool. My brush with greatness. John (laughs) told me that story, and a year later, we both saw together uh, that Hamlet that you liked. I'm standing by that. And John and I just walked out of there dumbfounded, and I just looked at him, and I said, next time, keep your hands to yourself. (laughs) Maybe it wasn't intended to be. Maybe you were supposed to let him... Get hit by the white you van. You could have prevented this. <laughs> this monstrosity. Only you can prevent Because it was over a year, a year and a half. All right. But so Ethan Hawke owes you a big one. I mean, one. Ethan Hawke has improved. I, I saw him in a, in a play, um, The Seagull, the Tony Randall production, where he played Constantine. 
He was so bad that when Constantine shoots himself at the end, there was people applause. applauded yes. in the audience. I'm not... I'm not joking. Well, I, but I saw him in smaller Shakespeare parts. I saw him as Hotspur in the Kevin Klein Falstaff, uh, Henry the Fourth yeah, Part One. He wasn't one. bad in that. And he, I saw him as Autolycus in the Winter's Tale at BAM, the the bridge mm. program. And he was actually really good in that. So man, then there was the Macbeth. Hey, and then there how was many, the Macbeth. How many actors in feature films keep their hand in theater and keep trying to do different? Things? And he does. And, yeah. and you're going to see him in True West tomorrow. Yep, um, with Paul Dano, which should be really, really interesting. Yeah, I hear it's not so good. I, I know, I know, I know, of but Paul Dano. He was a very good director, though. He did, made, uh, made a good film my, this year. Yep, uh, uh, wildlife. And and I have to say, my other great movie going experiences this year were some old seeing two thousand one on a big screen again, taking my daughter to see Yellow Submarine on a big screen oh. in a beautiful restored print. Uh, um, got a hole in my pocket. Seeing the I've got a hole in my pocket. Um, <laughs> the uh, Vigo films, you know, all four of them at uh, at Film Forum, and the best of all was Lebowski Fest. Just sitting there with three hundred people who were also reciting every line of the movie, just to hear three hundred people scream over the line, Smokey, was totally worth <laughs> the price of admission. He's doing a commercial. As yeah, Lebowski I know. Is, uh, they should really just Bowl. let it, let it, let it go. Does so he need the money. I don't think so. So uh, 2018, an interesting year for small films and perhaps a, a, a turning point year. Water, I hate, I'll use it, the water, a watershed year for African-American directors and maybe finally the moment where they're not a separate little group. They just become mainstream. Um, next episode, we're going to talk about our favorite uh, one-hit wonder directors. So don't be surprised if you hear films like uh, Donnie Darko and um, Risky Business. And someone's going to do Night of the Hunter, I know. Well, we, we, we have to do Night of the Hunter. To. So I think our, we, all three of us want to choose that. So perhaps we should talk about that one. We, as will, ta- we will discuss. But so are, we're going to go back for this one, our favorite one-hit wonders. And looking forward to that. And I also want to give a small shout-out to my friend Hilary Brower. Uh, filmmaker and awesome person who uh, just got her film uh, called South Mountain accepted into South by Southwest and hopefully it will get a release there. So uh, Vintage Sand as ever is a five nines and a four production. We will never explain that. Um, Want to thank uh, our producer Melissa Cabot, uh, Mama Sue for the use of the hall, Gabby for the logo. Please check out our website uh, which is not ironically called www.vintagesand.com and uh, if we haven't um, turned apoplectic when uh, Green Book wins all the Oscars, we'll be back in February. It's not going to happen, Michael. Don't no, worry about it. My and, favorite might. Yeah, I don't know. And or, I, uh, can see that, I can see that happen. It might. It might. But no one's ever going to. No one's going to watch that in five years. But the favorite. The favorite. Yeah. Probably not. I liked it. I don't it. think so. A lot. But um, you like it either. So mm-hmm. I has this for a nice closing. I think happy watching and may your favorite films always be streaming. Not lovely. <laughs> Bye, y'all.